thankful for um, many, many, many things. I'm thankful for the gift of family, the gift of church, the gift of faith, the gift of scriptures, the gift of teachers. There's lots to be thankful for. We are an assembly gathered together for one single purpose. That's to learn more of him. We learn about those things, about more of him, not from our imagination. The Gentiles did that back before Christ came. They were feeling about, looking for who this God of heaven was. It was not revealed to them. It was revealed to the Jews. The Jews had the light of the scripture. Jesus himself said, salvation is of the Jews. So the knowledge of who Christ was and what lineage he came through, he came through the nation of Israel. After that, after that, it says in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse, I'll start at verse 11, verse 12. It says, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast and the borders of Zebulon and Naphtalim. I can't pronounce that word. That it might be fulfilled that was spoken of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, uh, Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles, the pe- people which sat in darkness saw a great light. To them which sat in the region of shadow of death, light has sprung up. What did they see? They saw Jesus Christ. But what did Jesus Christ come to do? He came to not only redeem his people from the penalty that we acquired under Adam, our father, but he also came to teach his people truth. So Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. But the word made flesh says what? That everything that Jesus Christ is, everything that he said, everything that he did was what? A manifestation of God's will. So as we look and live our lives, we're, trying, we're striving to follow Jesus Christ because he is the living word. He is the, he is the manifestation of God in the flesh. You want to live a godly life? Follow Christ. So in that way, the Gentiles saw a great light. They were never taught this thing before. Go over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and verse... Um, Forty-seven. I'll start at verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. <clears throat> he, he's, in, he's in a Gentile city, the Apostle Paul. And but when, Jesus, when the Jews saw that the multitudes, they were filled with envy, spake against these things which were spoken of by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. They did not like the fact that originally the Jews were the special people of the earth. And now suddenly, there's this Jew coming to the Gentile nations, speaking the truth about God and the way of salvation, which is through Jesus Christ, and it's opened to everyone. That had never been spoken before. This is a truth not heard by the Gentiles before. Then Paul and Barnabas were bold, full of the Spirit. And why are they full of spirit? Because they're pride? Because they know something? No, because they have a compassion for the people. They want the people to understand this blessed truth of the redemption that's in Jesus Christ and the truth revealed in God's word for our benefit, for God's glory. 
so we can live better lives, so we can give glory and honor to him. Wisdom is justified of our children. Wisdom is declared to be right when we walk in the ways of righteousness and the ways of truth and the ways of Christ, and we give glory to God. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be first spoken unto you, but seeing you put it from you, judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Jesus said, To the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Notice in this passage of scripture alone, it was not their belief that ordained them to eternal life. It was the ordination to eternal life, the election of grace. That allowed them to believe. They were born again of the spirit prior to believing. The evidence of that also is revealed in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 being verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have also access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Notice, we have access into this state of grace. How do we get into that state of grace? By God's sovereign choice, by God's sovereign election, by Christ dying for the sins of his people. We're put into a state of grace, and how do we get into it? How do we realize it? How do we enjoy it? By the gift of faith that was given us in the new birth in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. One of the fruits of the Spirit is faith. We enjoy the gospel. We enjoy the knowledge of Jesus Christ because God loved us so much he gave us faith that we might know him better. Communion and fellowship becoming one with him as the bride of Christ. I'll end with this scripture very quickly. In 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be, may be after, my, after my demise to have these things all raised in remembrance. He's referring to these things which he's already taught about previously. The apostles were sent to teach the word of God to God's people for their good, for their benefit, for God's glory. That we might have peace in this time world. It is not about getting to heaven. You're on your way to heaven because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We can enjoy heavenly places here in time in communion and fellowship with God by listening to God's word, applying God's word, and rejoicing in truth and faith. But we have not followed cunningly devised fables. In other words, we didn't imagine these things. These things didn't come out of our imagination. It wasn't taught in a theology school. It was taught from God, from his word. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter saw not only Christ living, but he saw the risen Christ. For he, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there comes such a voice to him from an excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, if God the Father set up his son, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Guess what Christ did for us? He made us accepted in the beloved by his work alone. And that's why you have faith. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. 
when we were with him in the Holy Mount. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. We have a more sure word of prophecy. All the prophetic books in the past, we have a more sure word of prophecy, wherein that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star riding, rising in our hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So everything preserved in this word for us today, which tells us about Jesus Christ, also instructs us how to live, how to bear with one another, how to love one another, how to rejoice with one another, how to weep with one another, how to learn to live this life carefully and skillfully to avoid the pitfalls, the snare of Satan. And when we do fall and we do fail and we will fail, we have a promise. Call upon the name of the Lord and he shall deliver you. God bless you. We've been looking at the parables of the 13th chapter of Matthew. And, and I want to read to you that first parable, and maybe we can bring that together in something that would be edifying. It says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured them up. Some fell on stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And thorns sprung up and choked them, but others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Brethren, I submit to you, this parable is about bearing fruit. It's not about life. It's not about coming alive. It's not about having life. It's about living the life you have in a manner that bears fruit. I submit to you that the kingdom of heaven is about fruit. It's about bearing fruit. The kingdom of heaven is not heaven. That's borne out in the second parable where Jesus comes out and specifically says the kingdom of heaven is likened unto, and that's the parable of the wheat and of the tares. And at the end of the parable of the wheat and the tares, now remember the kingdom of heaven is likened to a field that's sown with wheat and tares. At the end of the parable of the wheat and tares, the tares are gathered into the fire, which is representative of the lake of fire. And the wheat is gathered into the barn, which is representative of heaven's pure world. But if the kingdom of heaven is the field, then it's not heaven, which is the barn. Are you following me? We're not here to find our way to heaven. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't leave you just with a map? This is not a map to get you on the way to heaven, right? Am I the only person in this room who got lost trying to follow a map? Or worse, gotten lost trying to follow a GPS? You know, that, that takes some skill, right? You would think, but it's easier to do than you would imagine. Anyway, the point is, if the Lord just gave us a map... I don't know about you all, but I would get lost on the way. He didn't give you a map. See, 
When we first started going up to Southampton, I wasn't quite sure where it was. Someone, I followed somebody and I got there following somebody, right? See, the Lord didn't give you a map to get you to heaven. He promised he was coming back to take you there personally. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to chance you making it. He paid too much for you to chance not having you with him. Brethren, I don't know about you, but when I go to the store and pay for something, I want to take it home. You know what I mean? You know, and if, if for some reason I don't get to take it home, I'm not happy about that. I don't know, maybe some of you are different, but I'm not happy about that. I expect if I pay my hard-earned money to purchase something, that I'm going to take that thing home. Okay? And I can tell you that what the Lord paid was greater than any sum you can even begin to imagine. And he will not be satisfied until he takes it home. Now, my kids can tell you that I'm not necessarily the nicest person to be around when I'm unsatisfied, right? You know what I'm getting at? But brethren, my dissatisfaction and the Lord's dissatisfaction do not compare. Okay? Not only that, the scripture says that he saw the travail of his soul and he was satisfied so brother this is not about heaven this is about fruit this is not about the next life this is about this life this is about bearing fruit right here and right now I was having a conversation with Jeremy this morning and uh, he had heard uh, an example so he, uh, this, this priest was talking to a collection of athletes says, if you want to win the state championships, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to go to practice. You're going to go to practice all the time. You're not going to miss a practice, right? You're going to work hard. You're going to exercise outside of practice. You're going to, you're going to do those things that are required. And you're going to do them diligently. So he turned around and asked the question, what are you going to do to go to heaven? Well, go, go to mass for 45 minutes a week, right? That, that doesn't quite make any sense, right? And, you know, it's like he's so close. Because... There's nothing we can do to merit heaven's pure world. Nothing at all. So it's a bad question, right? No matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, there's no way that you can pay the sin debt. That's why Jesus paid the sin debt. You would not even know you had a sin debt if Jesus had not paid the sin debt. You would not know that you needed a Savior unless you had, have a Savior. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad that's the gospel we get to preach? That if you sit here today and you know you need a Savior, if you know your life doesn't measure up, If you know that you have fallen short of the mark or the prize, the high calling of God. If you know you have, I'm not talking academically. If you know that you have earned a place in the lake of fire. If you can say with the thief that we are here on the cross 
because we deserve to be here on the cross. We receive the just recompense of our deeds. But he hath done nothing amiss. If you can see that carpenter from Galilee on the cross, completely innocent, but also victorious over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave, over all things. It is because you are embraced in his work and in his covenant. And it might not be today, okay? But one day you will dwell with him in paradise. So this isn't about heaven. This is not about some future time. This is about right here and right now. We don't labor to enter into heaven. We labor to glorify the Lord, which is our just service. We are to give our bodies a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. And I'm not going to go into, there's actually a lot we can learn about the impediments to bearing fruit. Our minds can be so hard that the, the word of the Lord can't even get in and, and Satan snatches it away. We can have things in our hearts and in our minds, great massive stones that prevent the word from being fruitful in our lives. Although I am encouraged. One of the things we learned in earth science is when it comes to breaking rocks, you know what breaks rocks? Roots break rocks. They get in the cracks and they work their way in there and they break rocks. Brethren, the truth can break the big rocks that are in your life that are rendering you unfruitful. Okay? And we can talk about, but I won't for sake of time, the thorns, the cares of this world, and the riches and all of that stuff that can choke the word and render us unfruitful. Brother Steve was speaking briefly about the prosperity, the health and wealth gospel, okay? And success. Brethren, I, can, I believe I can, I can guarantee you that if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be successful. Does that mean you're going to have an excellent job? No, it does not mean that. Does that mean you're going to have a wonderful house? No, it really doesn't. The scripture says, if we have food and raiment, we are to be content. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. Now, he did say that if you seek first the kingdom of heaven, 
All of these things will be added unto you because the Lord knows you have need of them. So he has promised to satisfy your needs. Okay? So when, when you talk about success, we're not talking about monetary success or success as the world might judge success. That doesn't equate to happiness. Now remember in the fifth chapter of Matthew, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He does not say blessed are the poor. Okay? There is no um, virtue in poverty, nor is there any vice in prosperity. These things are independent of what the Lord has called us to do. Are you in poverty? The scripture does say to work with your own hands so that you may have enough for yourself and for others. He that stole, let him steal no more. Aren't you glad that's the gospel message? Whatever you've been into, whatever your sin has been, whatever your sin is that besets you, whatever you struggle with or have struggled with, the scripture says, stop and follow me. He that stole, he doesn't say you're disqualified. He says, don't do it anymore. Work with your own hands so that you can have enough for yourself and to give to others. Turn and follow me. When John the Baptist was encountering those people that came to him, whether they were publicans, whether they were soldiers, whatever kind of past they might have had, John said, repent and follow. Come, come. Come, Jesus, neither do I condemn thee. He, it, it, whatever you've been, your, your problems are, and it's not, you, you've got, everybody's got them. We just, we're not as, as open as maybe we ought to be about some of those things. The scriptures just say to confess our faults one to another. But I can guarantee you, we all struggle with something. Everyone in here is struggling with something, okay? And my sin may not be, may be different from what you struggle with, but that doesn't make it better or worse because it doesn't matter how we fall short. It only matters that we have fallen short. It doesn't matter which commandment we've had trouble with. It only matters who gave the commandments. But to all of us, no matter what we struggle with, the gospel is to repent and Turn to the Lord. He tells backsliding Israel, turn unto me and I will heal your backsliding. Brethren, this is about bearing fruit. We are to bear fruit for the glory of the Lord and for our joy. Aren't you glad? Think about that. You know, Billy Joel thinks the saints are crying and nobody told him they're tears of joy. Okay? Well, you are not called to be glum all the time, God forbid. You are called to live your life abundantly to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are not called to barely get by. We are called to live the life that God has given us abundantly to his glory. And the commandments that he has given us, they are not grievous. 
but they are for our joy. If we, if we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, is it not for our joy? If this place were empty, would God be diminished? Would Christ be diminished in any way? No, but we would be diminished, would we not? It is for our joy. His glory and our joy. And again, if we bear fruit, and, and, and you can talk about the, the kinds of things that um, cause a, a, the ground to bear fruit, and there's lots to learn there that I'll just skip over for lack of time. But I want to turn to the fifth chapter of Galatians. Because I want, to, want you to get a feel for the kind of fruit we're talking about. What, is the, what does it mean to be successful as a Christian? What does that mean? In Galatians, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5 and 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Brethren, I find it interesting that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. All the world is going about seeking love. You can hear them on the radio, trying to find love, lamenting that they've lost love, and they don't even know what the word means. I submit to you that there is no real love outside of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, outside of the Holy Ghost. There could be some affection, there is some natural affection, there can be um, lust. There's lots and lots of lust out there, okay? But real love. All the world is seeking it. You can hear on the radio they're not doing such a good job finding it. It only exists through the Holy Spirit. It only exists through the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of fruit you're called to bear. A successful Christian is not successful because they make a lot of money. Nothing wrong with making money. As long as we're doing it honestly, that is the legitimate reward of your labor. The Ecclesiastes letter says it is good and right for you to enjoy the legitimate rewards of your labors. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to serve the Lord. And brethren, if you serve your employer or your customers, if you're self-employed, like it unto the Lord, serve them like you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ himself, which is what you are commanded to do, then you will receive a measure of natural success. It's just a byproduct because of the wisdom of the Lord. It's not the goal. 
If, if, if success were the goal, then we might uh, try to attain it by hook or by crook. No, it is not the goal. It is a natural consequence of doing what the Lord has commanded us to do. And sometimes when we do the things the Lord commands us to do, we won't do the things our employer wants us to do. Because it's dishonest. Okay? And so we will do what the Lord, we will, it's like Joseph said, that I will do what's right. When Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he said, far be it for me to do this thing. It's wrong. So we'll do what is right. But for the most part, the Lord has called and commanded us to serve our employers, our customers, like Jesus. Not with eye service like man pleasers, but like we're serving Jesus. And if you do that, there will be a measure of natural success. It is a natural outcome, but that's not the goal. If we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, there will be harmony. Not always, because there's just some people. That, anyway, as much as is possible, is what the scripture says, live peaceably with all men, which acknowledges to me that there are some people that are just impossible, but that's a different story. But if even, I, I thank the Lord that what is impossible with us is possible with God. You know what I'm saying? That's amazing. So I'm just going to close. I want to hear Brother Steve. But it's about bearing fruit. And it's about bearing that fruit that I read to you in the Galatian letter. And you can read it again. A successful Christian is not necessarily one that's rich. A successful Christian is one that is rich in love. Rich in joy. Rich in mercy. Rich in long suffering. Rich in all of those fruits. And one other thing, I'm picking it up, so I'm actually headed out this way. The, you know, nowadays you go to Monsanto or somebody like that and you buy seed to plant. And you have to buy your seed from them every year or you've violated their patent. In those days, you took the best of your crop and you planted that. So that the fruit became the seed. You understand how God intends for his kingdom to grow? The fruit becomes the seed. Okay? So when you bear fruit, when you love, you plant seed that will grow in others. When you are long-suffering, when you are joyful, nobody wants to come and eat with a bunch of grumpy people. Okay? You know, that just doesn't sound fun, does it? You know, they're always, they're grumpy all the time, you know. But if you are full of joy, I'm not talking about making merry. My job is not to make you laugh. I'm not a comedian. Although my, anyway, my kids tell me all the time, I am not a comedian. (laughs) Anyway, so the fruit is the seed. May the Lord reach the question. Thank you.